Hi guys, my name is Quinn Cully and this is True Product, a show that dives into the weeds of real projects with PMs from around the world. Our guest today is Meredith Lobb, a PM from HelloFresh, which is one of the largest meal kit delivery services. As usual, we'll cover a bit about the company's team structure, their cadence for defining objectives and prioritizing, and finally, we'll dive into a recent project of hers. Specifically, how Meredith designed and launched a one-off specialty box that broke the mold of their usual subscription offering. Some of the highlights include, one, how to source ideas from any team in the organization, two, the ins and outs of launching and iterating with software and food, and three, the importance of postmortems for every project. As always, if you have any feedback, please find us on Twitter or LinkedIn at True Product Podcast. Thanks. Enjoy. Thank you very much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I would love to start with just a small little introduction, who you are, who do you work for, the basics? Yeah, of course. Um, my name is Meredith Lobb. Um, I work at HelloFresh. Um, if anyone hasn't heard of HelloFresh, we're in the meal kit industry, um, and I am a ma manager on our product team. We actually have like a few different product teams at our company. So just to um, clarify the distinction, um, I sit on a product team in the US um, and I kind of am at the intersection of the physical and the digital product. So we do have um, a different like tech product org that does specifically different parts of our tech product. I work with them and I also work to execute on the physical side. Nice. That definitely makes sense. Um, so talk to me a little bit more about uh, the consumer side. If I am a user, what, what exactly am I doing? What am I getting when I'm working with HelloFresh? Yeah. So HelloFresh, we're a subscription service primarily. Um, so as a user, you are signing up through our funnel. Um, you're maybe selecting a certain preference. Um, so maybe you like quick recipes. Um, nice. Maybe you want something that's family friendly. Um, you determine how many meals that you want per week and then for how many people. So right now we have the options of two or four servings. Very cool. Um, and then on a weekly basis, you'll receive either default selected meals that we are choosing for you because they best fit um, what you're looking for based on your preference. Um, or you're going into our website or our app um, and you are using our menu page to select what you want to order every week. Nice. And since we're a subscription service, you can pause on any given week. Um, and then we kind of load our menus about six weeks in advance. So you can go in and select whatever you want to order, change it up until that point. Um, and in addition to our core menu, as we call it, we also have an add-on store. So you can add things like frozen garlic bread or desserts or lunches on top of your dinner subscription as well. Nice. Very cool. Um, and then uh, how did you come to be a lovely product manager? That is a very good question. Um, so it was kind of a windy road. Um, I started in finance, actually, kind of thought at the time that's what you're supposed to do out of college um, and quickly learned that I really did not love it. I was working in asset management at the time. Um, and I just really was not passionate about what I was doing on a daily basis. And I was super jealous of the people who were passionate about the job that I was doing at the time. Um, and so I started to think about what really motivated me and what I was interested in. And I think the consumer ret retail space for me is something that 
I find to be really interesting. Um, and also just personally, um, I love to cook in my spare time. So I definitely had that personal passion going as well. Um, and I had recently at the time, this is two and a half years ago now, um, I had started HelloFresh myself as a subscriber. Oh, uh, very cool. And I really liked the product. I thought it was very cool and different. Um, and so I felt like, why not apply there? Um, and I ended up on the US product team. As I said, at the time, I started more as a data analyst. I was also doing some process management for different internal teams, like our culinary team. Um, and that kind of evolved into me owning quite a few different types of products, starting off with one of our innovation verticals for a totally new product line called Specialty Boxes, which I'll go into in a little bit more depth later. Um, and then now I kind of do a lot of product strategy for our core menu and just overarching across a few of our brands because we have multiple. Nice, very, very cool. Um, what are the uh, the primary teams that make up the company? Obviously, how many employees do you have? It must be pretty big. Um, in our US HQ, I think we probably have around like three, 400, but I'm really oh, wow. ballparking there. Um, yeah. The number changes a lot every day. And actually right now in this current coronavirus environment, we're aggressively hiring and trying to increase that number. Yeah. Um, so if anyone's looking, we have a lot of openings. Um, but then obviously in the US, we also have distribution centers because we have that big physical product component. Mm -hmm. um, so we have actual warehouses where people are packing and shipping out our product. Yeah. Um, and we're an international company actually headquartered in Berlin. So oh. we have a big Berlin office as well as offices in multiple other countries. Very, very cool. And what is the, what are some of the core teams that are in the New York office? So I, I would categorize um, all of the teams into like four different pillars. I think the first that I'll touch on is the tech org. So I know I mentioned that before, but we do have a really fully built out tech org. A lot of it actually sitting in Berlin, some of it sitting in the US. Um, and they're broken up into different groups um, and have obviously very specific KPIs per group um, and specific areas of our product um, or the customer experience that they focus on. Mm -hmm. And I can touch on a few of those later. We also have um, our marketing org. So under marketing, we obviously have a big growth component because we are a younger company. We're only about like six years old in the US, actually maybe seven, um, don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, so growth is a really big element of our marketing org, as well as obviously the data science component of that. Yep. Um, and then obviously we have channel leads across paid, but also organic um, for different types of marketing, like CRM, social, et cetera. And then we have the ops org, which actually technically I sit under. Um, the ops org is kind of like a behemoth. It's everything from what do you naturally think, logistics, procurement of our ingredients and packaging and all of that, um, all the way to our menu planning function. So figuring out what recipes we want on the menu every week. Um, and then the culinary team, our team of chefs, also sits within the ops org, as well as my product team. Nice. And then lastly, there's the internal functions, um, finance, accounting, and HR, which I'd probably put in that fourth pillar. Nice. Very, very cool. Um, all right. Talk to me a little bit about um, planning and prioritization uh, throughout the year, quarter, or whatever the sequence is that you guys kind of work on. Very good question. Um, so I will say um, at HelloFresh, we have a few core values that we really try to hammer home. 
Um, and one of those is speed and agility. And so while we do a lot of planning and prioritization, we're also constantly reprioritizing. Hmm. Um, so for myself, I'd say um, at the beginning of this year, I was tasked with coming up with an annual roadmap for 2020. So what did I want to tackle for nice. the entire year? Yeah. <laughs> and I had to set out like an initial prioritization for that. Um, for me specifically, I wouldn't say that myself or my team operates um, on any certain cadence. Mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of long-term projects, and then we have some weekly ones as well um, that are more repetitive. Yep. Um, but as I said, it's a lot of constant prioritization, um, juggling things at different times. Um, and then when working with tech, they operate in two-week sprints. Yep, that makes sense. Um, what is the obviously I'm, I'm used to the world where it's like a much smaller company and we're looking max like three months four months into the future um what is maybe like a uh, big initiative that comes down that you get to feed up into are, are there any kind of yearly goals or anything for sure um and actually if i were to walk you through my yearly goals right now they sound like insane because one of them is literally demand when it boils down to it um, <laughs> Terminology may be a little bit different, but that's what it is. Yeah. Um, so our team is focused with uh, focused on like really big goals, and then we have to figure out how to align smaller projects as well as longer term projects. Mm. But I think um, at the business level, there are some strategic product decisions that are made that then determine like our focus for the year. Yeah, that makes sense. So I think like one example I can give you now. I said at the beginning when a prospect signs up in the funnel and becomes a subscriber. They have to choose a preference. Um, way back when, we actually didn't have preferences, as mm -hmm. we currently call them. We actually had different plans where people would see different menus, um, and those menus would be dictated by, obviously, what they signed up for. We totally shifted gears, and now we show everyone the same menu, and they just get different recipes chosen for them based on what they're interested in. Something like that would be a really high-level strategic decision that would then determine a lot of smaller roadmap items. Yeah, nice. That definitely makes sense. Um, okay, so um, I guess walk me through um, maybe the idea that we're going to talk about later. Where did that kind of start in the sense of like either those kind of guidelines or uh, blocks that they put on? And how did it get down to like, ooh, this is something that's actually we're going to work on for the next however long it is? Yeah, um, so... To give a little intro into the project I'm going to talk about later, um, in 2019, I was tasked with building out a new innovation vertical for us called Specialty Boxes. That's what we call it internally. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially what that product is, is a one-time offering for certain calendar dates um, or different occasions throughout the year where there might be high demand for a food-focused product, mm -hmm. um, but that's different than our core subscription model. So primarily because it is a one-off product and it's not a subscription. Very cool. Um, and so I had to add a ton of different ideas to the roadmap for different products. Um, and that can happen in a lot of different ways. Um, for our product team, a lot of it happens um, with internal brainstorms mm -hmm. with um, members of our team. So we have team meetings and everyone is encouraged to kind of bring up ideas. Yeah. Um, and if we like them, we add them to the roadmap. 
Um, we do have a pretty flat org at HelloFresh, so everyone is encouraged to come up with ideas and put them forward. Um, so it could really come from anywhere, whether it's myself, which oftentimes a lot of it was, um, my own ideas that I researched and came up with based on customer needs that I knew already existed. Mm -hmm. Um, but on top of that, it could also come from other teams. And so actually the example that I'm going to walk you through later was something that our procurement team was really pushing for reasons that you'll understand when I go through <laughs> it. Um, but that's one that they wanted to add to the roadmap. And so we talked to them about it and figured out a way that we can make that happen for them. Very cool. And when are those brainstorming sessions? So they, they don't happen. I, I would say I've heard at other companies that there are certain quarterly meetings um, or different sessions yeah. that um, are specifically for that purpose. I would say we're a lot more informal. Yeah. Um, and so we have weekly Friday team meetings, end of day Friday. My boss likes to put them <laughs> on the calendar so that they can run as long as we need them to because we know we won't get kicked out of our meeting rooms. Um, and at those, that's a lot of the times we where we share our ideas and kind of talk through things. Nice, very, very cool. Um, great, all right, so let's jump into uh, the project itself. So walk us through from the very start of it. For sure, um, so alluded to some of this already, it was a specialty box that I ran last summer. Um, I'll call it the grilling box, that's what it was called to our customers. Um, and it was a new product for us in a lot of different ways. So. Obviously, at the time, I said I was building out this new innovation vertical, adding new products to the roadmap, um, this being one of them. Um, so in that sense, this being a one-off product, it was one of our newer ones. It mm -hmm. was the fourth one that we had ever offered. Um, but also on top of that, this one was a little bit different because we wanted to try doing a non-recipe format product. Um, so for people that don't know our business as well, maybe that doesn't make as much sense why that's such a big difference. Yeah. Um, but for our customers, they really find value in us providing them with the full recipe, all of the ingredients, all of the instructions. Mm -hmm. That's the experience we provide. And we wanted to try doing something differently to understand what people thought about that. And because at the time we thought that there was a need for something like that in the time period. Very, very cool. Um, and when you talk about, so this this wasn't the first one-off one -off box, what do we call it? Correct, you can call it a specialty box, nice. one-off. Um, we have a lot of different names internally, even across teams. Um, it was the fourth. So um, this new innovation vertical started with a Thanksgiving box uh, um, okay. two Thanksgivings ago. Um, and then we did a holiday box. Uh, we did a Mother's Day brunch box. Um, and then this was the fourth product. It was a summer grilling box that happened almost a year ago. Very cool. So the, so the original opportunity or like problem statement was just that, Hey, there are certain times throughout the year when like food is a lot more prevalent. Yeah. I mean, the, the goal and the opportunity that we identified was that we see demand, um, demand is really high at the beginning of the year. Um, this might make sense to some people, um, maybe not to others, but when people are making New Year's resolutions, that's a big time <laughs> period to sign up for a meal kit company. Um, so we do see really high demand in January, February, even March. But in the summer months, we tend to see a little bit lower demand. Mm -hmm. um, and when we're looking at pausing or cancellation feedback from our customers, what they have tended to say is that it's not actually related to the quality of our product in those months. 
it's actually more related to their own personal reasons. So a lot of people are traveling, their schedules are a little bit more in flux in the summer. And so a weekly subscription product just doesn't really fit their needs in that time period as well. And so the thinking for offering a one-off box is obviously that it can be more flexible for those people. Yeah. And also for this specific product, our thinking was, let's not offer recipe format. Let's just offer basically a box of meat. Some competitors like <laughs> Butcher's Box were already doing it. Um, and people can refreeze that meat. They can keep it for the whole summer or a second use case. They can also use it for a summer long weekend and go all out and host a grilling party and they'll have everything that they need to put on the barbecue basically. Nice, very, very cool. So um, talk to me about um, either how this how this idea or whatever it was came about or ended up in your lap. Yeah, so this is an interesting one and I, I will say, um, this is not normally how they go, but I think this is a really interesting case study to walk through with you. Um, this one, as I said, was kind of a, an, a brainchild of our procurement VP at the time. Um, and so he was really interested in seeing if we could use some of our excess supply of mm -hmm. some of our great protein skews ah. um, and offer it to customers in a different way. I think in retrospect now, and we can talk through this a bit more later, there's other ways we could have done that better. But at the time, this was kind of the ask to try and like look into a product like this and see if it would work for that need. Ultimately, though, um, even in the scoping of the product, we determined like that original goal wasn't necessarily aligned with what we wanted to offer mm -hmm. because we wanted to offer a lot of our high value protein SKUs that actually we don't have a ton of excess supply yeah, for. Yeah, exactly. Um, or some new SKUs like lobster tail. Mm -hmm. um, but that was kind of how the idea came about. And then from there, it, at the time, it was my responsibility to then scope out a business case. Um, and so for us, scoping out a business case means a few things. Um, the first is obviously figuring out like what is our expected volume for this, mm -hmm. as well as what is our margin profile for this? We have really specific margin targets. So looking at all the costs that would go into this, what can we charge for it? Um, which requires a lot of back and forth with different teams um, and working to figure out what even goes into this physical product and what does that mean for the costs? Um, and then figuring out other KPIs that are associated to more related to customer satisfaction and like building out the the full understanding of what the customer need is and what we would want the positioning to be. So that's kind of like where I took it from there. And I kind of had to put all of that together, pitch it out to leadership on my team. Um, and then from there, that's when we start to involve other teams in the process generally. Not, so, so that, uh, what do you guys call that document or whatever artifact? So there might be a few different documents involved yeah. um, because a lot of these products are not really one size fits all. It's difficult, but generally I do have a business case document yeah. um, and I, I literally either call it like the business case document <laughs> and it has the volumes and the margin profile and everything in it. Um, but I link everything to a document that I think is has a much more universal terminology for PMs, um, and that is the product spec sheet. Nice. So I keep very detailed product spec <laughs> sheets with all information in it, in their timelines, and then obviously linking to other documents like the business case. Yeah, and then um, what was that the uh, uh, margin sheet? What was the so I, like at the time? Um, I think I called it like 
the cost report because that's actually what we end up getting once these products are fully finalized and out the door um, from our accounting team. Yeah. Um, so we do like a draft budget um, and then like a draft cost report essentially. Nice. So, so talk me through that. And it sounds like this, this like uh, maybe take some old knowledge of like your analyst skills and says like, hey, we're about to model out what this would actually look like. And so what are the inputs there and what are the outputs? For sure. So there's a few different, I'll, there's a few different ways I could talk through that. I think we can talk through like how I do initial forecasts for volume, and then also um, how I assume costs. Yeah, yeah. I'll start with the cost side of things. So obviously a lot of the costs associated with a new product at HelloFresh are are pretty similar to what we have for an existing one because we're sending them all in a box. We generally know what to expect for shipping, um, packaging, Pick and pack is what we call um, basically the labor in our distribution centers to pack the boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, we have spreadsheets of most of the ingredient costs as long as they're already onboarded with us. Mm. Um, and then I basically would have to negotiate with our creative team on the cost of any printed assets. <laughs> um, and a lot of times I would use that as a lever to kind of meet my margin targets. Um, so giving them a budget that I needed them to hit essentially. And is that, is that uh, print for the actual box itself? What is it? Correct. So yeah, um, because we ship our product in a box, we like to send printed assets generally with them. Um, so for anyone familiar with our core subscription model, we're sending you a front and back, like one sheet recipe card that mm-hmm. tells you everything you need to do to cook the recipe. It has a list of ingredients, photos, and all of that. Um, for these products, it's really um, not one size fits all. We design a different printed piece for each product that's kind of tailored to what the product is Very and cool. what we want to say about it to our customers. So for this one, as I said, it wasn't a recipe format product. And so instead of including recipes, we included what we called recipes, which were essentially like tips and tricks for either how to grill your meat um, or how to prep lobster tails, which people didn't really know how to do, or like great combinations of ingredients that you could use as a rub or a marinade, that kind of stuff to add a little bit of value there. Very cool. Um, What else was in the cost side of things? And the cost, I think I covered the main ones. Um, We generally, we also have payments in there. So um, just like a percentage of whatever the top line price is that we have to pay. Um, And then those are the main ones that we really factor in. Um, And one that I'll just talk about now, actually, that was kind of a challenge at the time was packaging. Something that generally for us, is pretty static depending on the time of year we know the thickness of our packaging and then how much it costs for this product one of the issues that we dealt with as we started to scope it out was that because we wanted to deliver fully frozen meat instead of meat that was partially thawed during transit like Uh, we normally do we had to use dry ice in our box which is not only dangerous but also totally new to us so that was a really costly and ended up hurting the margin profile there very very interesting that's a great little fun fact um Mm -hmm. what what about um did you guys factor in marketing and acquisition costs here or do you keep that aside so normally we would um however because this was a totally new innovation vertical actually at the time we did not have sign on to have any marketing spend for these products Uh. So we were doing everything um, organically, yeah. Um, but we would factor that in. If nice. We were spending for that. Very cool. Um, 
And then how do you think about the upside? Or what factors went into that? Um, so you're talking about the volume? Yep. Yeah, so oftentimes we like to proxy based on prior products. Um, that was really hard for this one because not only was it very different than the previous one-off boxes that we had offered, um, but it also is just different than anything we've ever offered. So there were not any great proxies. Mm -hmm. um, we did take a look at the volumes that we had sold for prior one-off boxes um, and then made assumptions primarily based on prior year's data for that time of year, mm -hmm. an assumption for maybe the percentage that we would capture out of our normal box count. Yeah. Um, and then looked at that over the time period that we were offering it um, and factored in um, on top of that, maybe um, some cannibalization of volume across the products um, and that kind of stuff. Very, very cool. And uh, are you putting this all together yourself? Are you working with anybody else to kind of wrangle these numbers? It depends on the product, yeah. um, which I know I keep saying for everything. Um, I think this is a really fun case study to walk through because it was a totally new vertical. So yeah. a lot of these processes at the time were not built out and I actually helped to build them out and standardize things Very cool. for the future. Um, but most of the time at this point, I was doing it totally on my own and just consulting with other teams when I needed pieces of information from them. Nice. Very cool. Um, all right. So you put together this proposal um, you present it to your team, your higher ups. Yeah. So I report into the senior director of product. Mm -hmm. Um, and then between him and I, it's really just like the VP of ops who oversees procurement, culinary, menu planning, and our product team. Very cool. So when I pitch out things, it's really just the two of them and I aligning in a room. Um, and then occasionally also we bring our CEO in depending on the product. He, he's pretty involved with some of these. Mm -hmm. Um, so just pitching to them basically my ideas and how I want to price the product, um, the stuff that we just talked through, my vision for the physical product. Um, and then from there, if there's buy-in, then that's when I would involve other teams. All right. So how'd it go? Um, overall, I think it went okay. Um, <laughs> I would say this is a product that we're not going to repeat. Um, really? It really divulged the actual <laughs> KPI data. Um, I think it was a really interesting product with some really interesting learnings, which is why I wanted to highlight it to you today. Um, like I said, this was something totally new that we hadn't tried before mm -hmm. and we were coming at it from a little bit of a different perspective because it wasn't something we scoped out like we normally would. Um, and so because we kind of partnered with another team to add it to the roadmap, there was more to the story there. Mm -hmm. um, we did not see as high customer demand as we would have liked to. Um, so I think primarily that's the reason that we're not going to repeat it. But the really interesting thing was the customer feedback. Um, it turned out that customers did not really think that a non-recipe format product resonated with them. And they actually really do find value in what we're currently doing. Interesting. So I think if we want to try something like this again in the future, we definitely want to stick to recipe format and really playing off of our strengths. Mm -hmm. um, but on the flip side, we had some really interesting positive learnings as well. Um, and I'm going to allude to a term that one of my coworkers coined, and I'm going to give him credit for it. Um, but we did see in the customer data as well, um, we offered two different types of the products. So we offered one that was a surf and turf box mm -hmm. and one that was what we called chef's choice. Um, it didn't have any seafood, but it had all of the other same ingredients that the surf and turf box had. The surf and turf box had salmon and lobster tail, and 
customers really responded well to that. And actually across all of the different ingredients we included in the box, we get customers to rate them um, and we analyze that data. Mm -hmm. And the results were higher across all of those different ingredients just because of the inclusion of those high value protein ingredients. Um, And it just turned out that including what we call like a halo effect ingredient um, actually elevates the entire customer experience, which was a super interesting learning for us. That's great. Um, we So we uh, we jumped ahead a little bit. I, I just want to go, so you, you have that meeting, you get approval and they say like, hey, mm-hmm. run with this. Yeah, so got approval. Um, so yeah, now I guess I can walk through like how exactly we executed it, which is like a three month long process. Um, so, The next step is really to start scoping out the physical and the digital product in parallel. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said at the beginning of our call, because I sit at the intersection, I kind of kick off both and work on both at the same time. Um, So I started to work with our culinary team to actually flesh out the vision for what we wanted this product to look like, what ingredients we wanted to include, maybe what new ingredients we wanted to bring on. Um, And then, like I said, we had these tips and tricks that we included. So working with them on that. Um, And then in parallel, um, I was working with our tech team. So at the time, it was a team who worked on all of our monetization products. So products that bring us incremental revenue on top of the subscription. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were fleshing out because this was a new vertical where we didn't have a ton of buy-in to spend resources on it. Mm -hmm. um, How exactly could we execute easily a web, a website and an app um, that could have all of the information we wanted on on it without like reinventing the wheel with any of our current tech infrastructure. So that was really interesting. Um, and during my time working on these products, we did actually try a different, a uh, few different things on the tech side. So we tried using contentful landing pages, which I'm sure a lot of people will be familiar with, or even Instapage way back when, um, as well as building our own landing pages. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up deciding to go with Contentful, I think, for this one, if I remember correctly. Um, so then figuring out what what information we wanted to include on it, what the wireframe was going to look like, um, and then funneling basically all of that information to our creative team to start developing the assets for. Mm-hmm. So I also worked really closely with the marketing and creative teams. Um, so after we kind of scoped out digital product, this is what we're gonna do, physical product, this is what we're gonna do, the next step is really creating a lot of those assets and kind of fleshing out our marketing campaigns. Um, so working on the photo shoots and how exactly we wanted everything to look, figuring out what types of printed assets we wanted um, because we have to send those to print way far in advance. Yeah. Um, as well as figuring out with all of the organic marketing channels that we were leveraging, as I said, no paid, um, what exactly our strategy was going to be so looking at channels like organic social, PR even, um, as well as CRM, which was our biggest growth lever at the time, um, and figuring out what the strategy was there. And were you expecting off the bat, um, one, that the majority of sales would come from existing customers on the subscription or new ones? So that's a really good question. Um, we were expecting the former. Um, so based on the first three products that we had run, I said this was the fourth one-off box that we had tried. Mm-hmm. We knew that the majority, vast majority of our purchasers at the time were existing loyal customers. Yeah. So not only existing customers, but really 
the really, really high tier loyalty customers, people who have bought a lot of boxes with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were looking to offer something to them that would supplement their subscription at a time where it wasn't really meeting their needs, um, which I kind of went over before. Um, I do think that this product line has a really big opportunity to also funnel prospects into our core subscription, mm-hmm. um, but that's something that at the time we weren't optimizing for. Yeah, and when when you were spinning up these landing pages, um, I guess what was the um, what was the core use case? Was it say, hey, we're going to target both new or old through these again through organic channels um, to a landing page to test, or was this when it's live? This was when it was live, actually. Um, So we created the landing pages, um, hoping that prospects would also land on them. And we did do some organic marketing efforts to try and make that happen. (laughs) Um, But really, these were landing pages that were linked um, to a lot of different areas of our existing landing page and app. Um, And so in the like regular... um, interactions that our customers have with our tech product, they would have seen different pop-ups or links to this landing page. Um, So we had it in mind that they would be the ones who would be clicking through there. Um, But at the time on our core menu, which is really where the majority of our customers spend the majority of their time Mm -hmm. selecting their recipes, we didn't have a great way to integrate the products into that. Uh, Okay. Um, And we still don't, but that's something we're working on. Okay, so the old flow was, hey, um, I'm a user, I come on here at some interval to adjust my menu or change what I'm getting on my subscription. And you guys had to figure out like, hey, when do we kind of interject and say, hey, check this out as a one-off thing. Exactly, because ultimately the goal is not to deflect away from making meal choice for our core product because the core product obviously makes up the bulk of our revenue and we want people to be really engaged with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So we wanted to make sure we weren't distracting from that, but also that enough people were seeing that we have this additional really cool product. That's very, very cool. Um, All right, so you've talked to um, marketing a bit. talk to tech, talk to everybody else, what happens next? So next we actually had to figure out, okay, now we have to ship the product to everyone who ordered it. (laughs) Um, So launch time and like monitoring demand is always a very nerve wracking time for me because these were very new products. There was a lot of uncertainty. Oftentimes, as you can imagine, a lot of fires pop up last minute that you have to fight. And so launch and then monitoring demand and kind of executing on on the orders was what was next. Um, And as the manager of this product vertical, I was just as involved in that as everything else. Um, So I worked with our ops analytics team to build our dashboard to monitor demand. Um, I was working with our customer care team to answer questions if customers were calling in and they were confused about something. Um, I was working with another team member of mine, actually, who does more of the analytics to design a survey to send to customers to figure out what they thought of the product. Very cool. Um, and then I was working with a lot of our ops teams to make sure that any kinks at the distribution center level were worked out to make sure that we could actually fulfill the orders. So still really hands-on at that point, um, all the way through to when orders closed, which is a time when I could normally breathe like a big sigh of relief. Um, but even involved after that. Um, so I think one thing that I've, I've done with these products that has been super helpful for everyone across the business um, is I conduct a really intensive post-mortem review of the product after every single one that I launched. Nice. 
um, it generally ends up being like a 10 page written document with a lot of different charts in it um, and different resources linked to it. Um, but I basically give an overview of how everything went from every single team's perspective and my thoughts on learnings, opportunities, areas of weakness, and what we can do better. Um, and it was really important at the time to crank out those postmortems yeah. for all of these products because it was such a new vertical, as I've said a bunch. Um, and there were so many learnings that we could gain from it. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, a few small questions. One, um, what you guys said you built a dashboard for this specific one. Where do you typically live? A, is that in a BI tool or is it custom built? Um, so generally they're custom built um, and they just live in Tableau. Nice, Tableau, okay. And mm -hmm. then um, second one was you have this post-mortem document. Where is that document living and how do you share that with internal teams? So this is a question that I'm hoping you don't laugh at the answer to. <laughs> um, but we still do a lot of our work in Google Sheets yep. um, and Google Docs. And so um, actually all of my postmortems were in Google Docs um, and maybe they had links to other Google Sheets or Tableau dashboards um, or I pulled in screenshots of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but generally that's how I would present them. And then I did walk through with all of these. I would walk through our CEO um, on highlights um, and he would get the whole doc. And so obviously there's some PowerPoint element to that um, when presenting it. And when did you, what, when was the, um, first of all, what was the time scale on this from start to like postmortem? Depends on the product. And also a lot of times it depended on different inputs that I needed from other teams to do the postmortem. Okay. So there are a few, a few like key pieces of information that I needed to finalize my, my postmortem reports. Um, obviously one of them is customer satisfaction. So a few of our big KPIs, um, one of which I'm sure a lot of people have heard of is MPS, um, but another probably no one has recipe score because that's <laughs> one that we invented. Um, so waiting for the results on those and like a full detailed analysis, um, as well as the demand data, which generally gets finalized um, about the time of the last orders, because then we know if anyone has canceled their orders or gotten refunds. Um, also the final cost report from accounting that I mentioned earlier, that one sometimes can take a really long time. Um, those are really the main inputs. Um, and so it depends on how quickly people can turn things around. Um, as you can probably imagine, at the end of 2019, when I was trying to do my most recent Thanksgiving and holiday postmortems, those were more delayed because our accounting team was very busy with audits going on for the beginning <laughs> of the year. Um, but in the summer, it was turned around pretty quickly. So sometimes it's like a month after um, our last delivery day. Nice. So that so that full project. When did you start the project, and when did you when did you wrap it up? I guess. So I probably started that project um, around. March, um, and then orders opened in June. We had them open actually for the whole summer until mm. Labor Day, which generally we don't do. Generally we do just like one or two weekends depending yeah. on what the occasion is. Um, and so I fully wrapped that one up, I think in like October. And was it, was it, um, I think maybe in my head I had this wrong. Was it, if it, I go on the site and I can order it and it gets delivered immediately or is it like, oh, order this and we ship all of them out at the same time? for like 4th of July weekend or something? Yeah, so for our core subscription, um, it would be next available delivery week, you would get it. Yeah. Um, but for these, we 
carefully curate the available delivery weeks. And so uh -huh, it really okay. depends on what the occasion is. Yeah. Um, if it's Mother's Day, maybe we just want to offer it for Mother's Day weekend, but we want orders to open four weeks before so that we can market it and yeah. people can actually learn about it. Um, we also have a five-day order cutoff, and so we need to know about all the orders five days before so we can pack the boxes. Um, and for this one, we offered it for most of the weekends in the summer, but really saw the highest demand around the summer long weekends. Very cool. Um, who were the core consumers of this? What did the demographic end up looking like for this specific product? So, um, as I said, with a lot of these, it was still like our really loyal customer base. Yeah. Um, for us, our customer base skews female, um, skews a little bit older people with families. Um, so it mirrored pretty closely that demographic, um, and higher on the income scale. Nice. Very cool. Um, anything else that you learned or would adjust going backwards? Um, I think I actually took some notes on this because <laughs> this. Um, I think um, what I learned specific to this product, um, definitely, I think I would refine the offering time period and probably do it more centered around those summer long weekends. As I said, the demand was primarily for that. Um, we did have some marketing hiccups that I actually haven't touched on, um, but making sure that we seamlessly execute our marketing plan is super, super important to mm -hmm. getting the volumes that we forecast. Yeah. Um, and then just that really interesting learning from our customer feedback related to the recipe format product versus non-recipe format. Um, definitely think for future products, we're gonna keep that in mind. That makes sense. Um, and did you guys end up putting any ad dollars behind this or was it all organic? We did not. I, I think we did do like one sponsored PR piece for mm -hmm. it, um, but I forget if we paid for it. Okay. Um, and then, so you let it go through one cycle and then the results were not enough to continue? Correct, so um, at the time that I kind of present out my postmortem and share it out, we make a decision, do we wanna do this next year, or do we not? Um, and this one was not added to the roadmap for 2020. Um, so stay tuned to see <laughs> if we're gonna offer something else instead. Um, but yeah, we do kind of decide on that roadmap once we get results from a product. Um, and then if we want to add any new products, we try and do that. I think I pitched out the first draft of the roadmap for 2020 in November. Nice. Very, very cool. Um, well, that was amazing. Um, anything else we missed or that you'd want to touch on? Um, I think I covered it all. I think you have probably an, a few other like last questions and there's definitely some things I can touch on for just like general PM lessons. Um, but I think I probably overloaded everyone with way too many details that they didn't need to know. Um, so I think I can move on from that now. Nice. Well, that was great. I really, really appreciate it. Um, all right. So few wrap up questions. One, uh, do you have any questions that you would like to ask other PMs at other companies? So I think I'm going to actually like turn the tables on you here because I know your next question and your next question is um, my favorite resources to better myself as a PM. And I would love to hear what other people say to that because I feel like sometimes I struggle with that. The, the resources? Yeah, I'd love to get some recommendations from other PMs or even you if you have any. Yeah, this is something so like there's actually... Um, Let's see if I can find it. This is product manual. Uh, so there's a website called product manual. Um, and this has been an amazing uh, wiki 
of like all of some of the best resources in the world. Um, I will uh, include it when I share this episode out, but I will share it with you right now in the chat window. Um, so this is a great, great little like uh, wiki of all everything from like design thinking, user research, personas, etc. And it links out to other articles, other books, any other resources. Um, I really, really enjoyed this. One that I actually just found from a guy who's interviewing at Facebook is uh, Andrew Chen. Andrew Chen is an amazing uh, investment, investor and product guy. And he has some amazing articles just on um, specific metrics, how to think about them, what metrics matter for what companies at what stages. Um, that one I definitely recommend. Um, but honestly, this is like kind of the reason I started this podcast is because like I really, really like the, the nitty gritty, dirty details of like how something actually got like carried out because the framework's always beautiful and amazing, but like those are really the best things. Um, there's actually another book called Decode and Conquer. That is a, it's like more aimed at for people who are interviewing, but it's really, really good because they, instead of giving like, oh, here's a tool or framework for how to think about things, they say like, oh, this is a question. This is an analytical question that'll get asked and here's the exact answer. So like you get more of these like real, real world results and like real thinkings. So on top of like learning how to the framework, you get like the actual answers. And I've actually found a lot of value out of those. Um, this guy, um, I forget the author's name, but he did the original book and it went so well that he released another with like just 160 question and answers of like the same type. So that was another great resource. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. Of course. Um, and then one lesson you would give early PMs from your experience. For sure. Um, so I think the thing that I've learned about being a PM um, more than anything is that you really have to be a jack of all trades. Um, I know this probably came through in everything I was talking about because I jumped into some tech stuff, ops and marketing and for different people, obviously the experience is different, but being able to just pick up on things really quickly, be pretty versatile um, and be able to jump in and learn about something um, and being willing to do that, I think is super, super important for success as a PM. Um, and then like key skills that I kind of instill in my team, um, uh, our organization and communication. Um, I think it's really hard to kind of take an entire massive project and distill it down without being organized every step of the way and mm -hmm. really knowing what's happening at every point. Um, and that's kind of, I think, how I've been able to execute on, on some of these things that are pretty broad um, successfully. Um, and then being able to communicate well and just being a good team player. Um, Oftentimes, and I think the example I provided is really great for that, um, you have to ask people to do things for you and they're on other teams and it is a lot lower on their roadmap than where it might be on yours. Yeah. And so being able to get buy-in from other people is really difficult if they don't like you. Um, <laughs> and so being able to be friendly with people, get along with them and have really good communication skills and be very clear when you're communicating with people to make it as easy as possible for them to respond to you yeah. and work with you, I think is super important. Yeah. The, the people management skills or product management, I think is one of the most important things of like understanding how people respond to things, what motivates them and how to like slowly convince them to like get what you need out of them. It's definitely an art form. Mm -hmm, definitely. It's something that I didn't really anticipate. And if, if you would, would have asked me before I started in this role, I probably wouldn't have expected that that would have been a, such an important skill, but it really is. Completely. Um, perfect. All right, Marta, this was amazing. I really, really appreciate it. So thank you very much for coming on. 
Thank you for having me. This was super fun. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, I will link out to the productmanual.com as well as Andrew Chen's blog over on our Twitter. So head over there. It's True Product Podcast if you want to take a look. Thanks again. Bye.